Welcome to episode 104 of The Complete Works Season 1, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Nicolas Cage. My name is Mike Smith, and joining me on this journey into the depths of true cagedom is my friend, co-host, and fellow cageaholic, Mike Tricio. How are you doing today, Mike? Oh, I'm doing great. What a little su- fun surprise uh, this episode is. Like, we kind of for- I didn't know it was a thing, and then I forgot about it, and then you were like, hey, we're doing Cage. And I was like, oh, yeah, dope. <laughs> so here uh, we are. Yeah. Well, I think on last week's episode, we had said that we were going to do the next Goldblum movie, uh, which is Minnie's first time. And uh, we will talk about that next week. Uh, (laughs) We we will get in on that. But uh, we had kind of a window where we could talk about uh, the movie we're going to talk about today because Nicolas Cage out with a new movie. Uh, It's available on video on demand right now. And I was actually able to watch it at uh, the Roxy Theater, uh, the Indie Theater in my house, Missoula, Montana. They were showing it uh, in the Roxy Annex, which is where they show kind of the smaller movies that nobody goes to see. That's uh, nice. <laughs> that's right up your alley. Where they place this movie. Uh, so, yeah, we are back with another Nicolas Cage movie this week. And uh, this is one that was pretty high on my radar for a long time. Like, I was pretty pumped for this movie because, you know, in a post Mandy world, suddenly right. a lot of very exciting Nicolas Cage projects were starting to get announced. And uh, we've seen some incredible work come out of that in the last couple of years. I mean, we just got pig like three months ago, Mike. That was already three months. That's fucked up. Uh, yeah, I think it was July that that came out. Yeah. Wow. So I guess I guess July, August, September. It's, it's right. about to be October. So three months, three months. Okay, okay. But yeah, so whenever a new Cage project gets announced, it always feels like the wilder the plot synopsis is, the more pumped I am to see the final product, you know, especially if Cage is collaborating with people who seem like they're going to bring out the best in each other's sensibilities. Uh, And when it was announced that Nicolas Cage was going to be starring in a new movie from director Sion Sono in his English language debut, that was definitely something to pay attention to. Uh, So full disclosure, I have not seen any Sion Sono movie. (laughs) Yes, correct. <laughs> Me neither. So we're, we're both kind of coming at this from the same page. Uh, but he's somebody who has been steadily working in Japanese cinema since the mid 80s. And over the decades, he's kind of gained a reputation for his very outlandish, subversive work. There's a huge cult following surrounding a lot of the movies of Sion Sono. Uh, so for he and Nicolas Cage to join forces was a pretty exciting prospect, especially when Cage, during pre-production of this movie, called it the wildest movie he'd ever made. Uh, wow. And that's a tall order there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Nicolas Cage th- said it was the wildest movie he ever made during pre-production. Uh, Sion Sono actually disagrees with that sentiment. Uh, he gives that award to Wild at Heart, uh, which <laughs> is also his favorite Cage performance, by the way. Kind of what he was trying to channel uh, from Cage with this movie. Uh, but the idea was enticing enough where uh, that pull quote from Nicolas Cage, uh, that this is the wildest movie he'd ever made, was actually in the trailer for this movie. They quoted uh, his himself. They quoted yep. Nick Cage. It's a, if you watch the trailer for this movie, you know, there's a couple of like critic blurbs. And then it says the wildest movie I've ever made. Nicolas Cage. Wow. <laughs> Which is uh, some pretty baller shit uh, right there. Yeah. Uh, and it's on the poster and everything like that. Like they took that quote and they ran with it. Uh, so it's fully being sold on the idea of putting Nicolas Cage in a batshit insane movie. 
And now we finally get to talk about it. And if they really accomplish that, it's Prisoners of the Ghostland. My granddaughter has been lost to us. I would have her return to me post-haste. And you, sir, I am told, are the man to do the job. Each arm is equipped with an explosive device. Your trousers are also equipped with explosives. <laughs> really? Just beyond the point where we now stand lies a highway where evil reigns. What is this? At the end of five days, if you have not returned with Benice, well, I think you get the idea, son. Godspeed. This is the ghost land, a land of no escape. We are not the ones who hold her captive. It's been two days, and still she is missing. How do I get out of here? You must surrender to fate. escapes the ghost land. No one! So Prisoners of the Ghostland uh, actually made its debut earlier this year at the Sundance Film Festival, uh, where it got picked up by RLJE Films for distribution. Uh, they also distributed uh, several other recent Cage movies like Mandy, Color Out of Space, Dog Eat Dog, and A Score to Settle. So there's that one, too. The reaction out of Sundance for this movie was slightly more mixed than expected. Uh, you know, I think a lot of critics were hoping for another Mandy and uh, they may have been a little turned off by this one. Uh, actually, our buddy Nick Wormuth, uh, who was just on the Goldblum pod two weeks ago to talk about Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, uh, he did the virtual Sundance this year, and we talked to him about it on Mike Mike Pod back in like February, and uh, he absolutely hated this movie. Did not care for this movie at all. So uh, not a great start to, to Prisoners of the Ghostlands. Yeah, yeah, and definitely I had heard a couple podcasts, you know, critic people that I follow kind of be in line with Nick there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, a little bit of a bummer, but I was still kind of, you know, excited about it because we, us two especially, are so in tune with Nicolas Cage movies, oh, you yeah. know? Uh, I absolutely you know, had that feeling where I was like, well, you just don't understand. Exactly, um, <laughs> yeah. You you didn't watch jujitsu, you know? Like, <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we have a greater understanding, a greater appreciation of the art of Nicolas Cage, uh, who stars in this movie as Hero, who is the hero. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a notorious criminal who's uh, tasked with rescuing the governor's adopted granddaughter from a dark region called Ghostland. Uh, the governor is played by Bill Mosley, known for his work in Rob Zombie movies like House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, and who also appeared with Nicolas Cage in the fake Grindhouse trailer Werewolf Women of the SS. Amazing, honestly. Yes. 
And actually, a couple of reunions happening here throughout this movie, Mike. Uh, his granddaughter, Bernice, is played by Sophia Butella, who also appeared in Love Antosha, uh, the documentary right. which Nicolas Cage narrated. And there's another Cage reunion happening here, too, as Nick Cassavetes plays Psycho, Nicolas Cage's ex-partner. And he was also Dietrich in Face Off back in the day. Outside of that... It's mostly like Japanese actors who have been in a few notable things like Shin Godzilla was in a couple of their resumes and stuff like that. But nobody that I was like super familiar with uh, as far as uh, the cast of this movie goes. Pre-production on Prisoners of the Ghostland was delayed for a while after Sion Sono actually had a heart attack while working on the film. And he actually credits Nicolas Cage with being the person who brought him back from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, not sure exactly what he means by that, but he says that Cage is the easiest person he's ever worked with and, you know, was really committed to getting this movie made. And so as a result, he, uh, you know, survived his heart attack and he got to make Prisoners of the Ghostlands. <laughs> so based on his output, actually, Sion Sono, you would never know he was out of commission uh, because he got he has another movie that's making the rounds at festivals right now wow. uh, called Red Post on Escher Street. And uh, he was a director on an Amazon anthology series called State of Emergency. But Prisoners of the Ghostland ultimately saw its release both in theaters and on video on demand simultaneously on September 17th, 2021. Uh, and if you weren't watching it, maybe you were heading to the theater or to HBO Max to watch the latest Clint Eastwood movie, Cry Macho. Only fucking nerds watch that. No, I don't know. I know. <laughs> uh, you know, I do intend to watch it, but I have not gotten around to it yet. Uh, I've, I've heard it's not great. Honestly, at this point, it's just sort of impressive that a 91 year old Clint Eastwood is still directing and starring in movies. Yeah, like good, yeah, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter if the movie is bad. It's like, yeah, good for you, man. Yeah. <laughs> you did it. Uh, but yeah, Cry Macho uh, opened this weekend. Uh, also opening this weekend was Cop Shop. Uh, which is a new action crime movie directed by Joe Carnahan and uh, starring Frank Grillo. And I think Gerard Butler is also in there somewhere. Wow. Uh, and also The Eyes of Tammy Faye opened in limited release with uh, Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield. And then after that, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, number one for the third week in a row. Uh, and also in the top ten were Free Guy, Candyman, Malignant, Jungle Cruise, Paw Patrol the movie, and Don't Breathe 2. You know how when we do the Goldblum movies and we're like, oh, man, I'd watch every one of those movies. <laughs> the exact opposite with that. <laughs> the exact opposite. You're not standing in line for Paw Patrol the movie, Mike. <laughs> I'd watch one of those movies and I did. And it was malignant. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I think you would enjoy Candyman. Uh, I probably you know, would. This, yeah, there's right. Candyman in here. I think at some point you'll probably see Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. OK, you know? all right. Yeah, there's right. some movies here that I think you would see. Don't Breathe 2 wasn't that bad either. I mean, I, I've seen some of these movies. You know, I meant to see Jungle Cruise and never did. And at this yeah. point, who knows? Remember uh, when people thought that'd be a mummy killer? What a bunch, what a bunch of nerds. <laughs> I don't know if anybody thought it was going to be a mummy killer. I thought it may be a mummy homage uh, uh, okay, for, okay. sure, for sure. Uh, I mean, it was definitely trying to be the mummy. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, that's the problem. That's, that's the problem that Hollywood keeps not remembering is that nobody can be the mummy. That's right. You know, that's that's Keep why when you, that's why when you remade the mummy, nobody saw it. because <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, With exactly. Sophia Batella as the mummy. She was in that movie. There it is. <laughs> so, we did it. There you go. We connected it back. Uh, so the IMDb plot synopsis for Prisoners of the Ghostland reads, a notorious criminal must break an evil curse in order to rescue an abducted girl who has mysteriously disappeared. Uh, so, Mike, what did you expect going into Prisoners of the Ghostland? Like we said, we kind of heard mixed to negative things going into it. But, you know, we're also pretty uh, lenient when it comes to a lot of cage movies, I would say. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm still somebody who will be like, you know, Trespass wasn't that bad, guys. Uh, <laughs> so what did you think of Prisoners of the Ghostland? Um, going into it, I didn't really know what to expect. I had never really heard of uh, Sion Sono before. Uh, but, but like, I remember when... 
this movie came out at uh, Sundance or when it was announced and everyone it was kind of like, you know, oh, the legendary Japanese director, like, oh, OK, cool. There's like some prestige there that I like, obviously I'm not culturally aware of. So that's exciting. I didn't know that whole like the wildest movie I've ever been in thing. Uh, so that's interesting in retrospect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't really I was kind of like, OK, I'm in for like an insane stylized movie. You know, it's a Nick Cage, late, late stage cage. Let's go. I'm in. And, you know, I don't know if is this a movie? I guess is my reaction to it. I mean, no, it, I'm kidding. It, it definitely is a movie for sure. And there's some stuff that I think is really cool, but it's like the sets and stuff like that. You know, it's like the thing. Right. When you kind of have like, oh, the food was paced really well. Like when you have to stretch for a compliment. Um, although I was right. actually. Uh, the lighting design was so great. Oh, like. incredible. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was genuinely impressed with uh, the sets, even though there's only like three or four like sets where everything takes place. Right. But But it's a very like lived in environment and it's like really immensely detailed. The production design is really cool. Is incredible. Yeah. They're really dense and and detailed and huge. Like, like literally giant, especially that like ghost lands set with the giant clock and everything. Yeah. And I just kept thinking about like, if this was a Marvel movie, it'd be three guys on a green screen stage. Like, you know, like, and, but this guy, they fucking just built this entire thing or found right. a warehouse that they could build onto or yeah, whatever. This, you know. this crowd would be like three people that are just like, you know, cut and pasted yeah. like throughout the entire. Yeah. Like a Madden video game. It'd be the same exactly. five people over and over again, over again, but it's not. And it's fully populated with it. At least it seems like like tons of extras and huge sets. And that stuff was really impressive as far as like a plot and a movie and experience that felt pretty lacking. But a lot of that felt like because I hadn't seen Sono's other 40 movies or however many 20 years of work, you know? Yeah, he's got a lot. He's got a lot. Yeah. 40 years of work, I guess, since the 80s. Um, So it was like, you know, I just I kept thinking about if you had no cultural awareness of Quentin Tarantino or something like that. And the first movie you saw was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You'd be like, why does he keep showing that girl's feet all the time? You know, like that's how I felt about this. Where it's just like, what is this? Like, I like I feel like I don't know the style or the cultural touchstones and all that stuff, obviously, around where this is coming from. So it's just like, what is happening? And it's flashbacks within flashbacks within disjointed timelines and like all this crazy shit. So, it's, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. I guess it's, you know, I was I watched it with a friend who was just like, what is happening? And I was like, honestly, I can't tell you. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, uh <laughs> So, you know, I, I didn't really enjoy it a whole lot, uh, you know, kind of kind of a negative, negative reaction to it. So, yeah, that's kind of my 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 over my opening takes on uh, on Prisoners of the Ghostland. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than you did. I think I basically borderline, you know, it's a three. It's a it's a three out of five for me. Yeah, which we've talked about in the past. Three is a very all-encompassing uh, range of emotions, right? It's yeah. <laughs> it's one of those ratings where, you know, a three could mean that a movie may not be great, but it hit, like, just enough of your buttons where it's like, all right, I mean, I, I guess I got to give it to it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I got yeah. to go for it. And there's, like, enough here where it's like, this is pretty cool, but it just feels like this is a hugely missed opportunity. And it's kind of what it feels like with Prisoners of the Ghostland. It's like... This movie is an amalgamation of so many movies that I think rule. You know, it's Escape from New York and it's also Hell Comes to Frogtown yeah. and it's also Army of Darkness and it's Yojimbo uh, and it's uh, I completely blanked on what the other like major thing that I clocked was. But it was like, you know, there, yeah. there's a there's a lot here. There's a lot of like different movies that are kind of just being like thrown into a blender at once. And you've got Nicolas Cage, who is very good at playing those kind of crazy like 
amalgamation type characters. But I, I take umbrage with Nicolas Cage saying this is the wildest movie he's ever made because I don't think it is even close to to being that, you know, I, I guess it depends on what you think of, like, in terms of wildness. Uh, I think on paper, this could be the wildest. And, you know, he ta- he said that quote when it was in pre-production. I could see maybe like going into the movie being like, oh, man, yeah, this is going to be crazy. It's going to be wild. Um, but like, I don't think it's as wild as like Deadfall or like, no. uh, you know, Deadfall's fucking insane or or Vampire's Kiss or, you know, a movie like that. Even, like, Dog Eat Dog is fucking wild. That's a, it's a crazy-ass movie. And, you know, that's a movie where, like, Nicolas Cage goes into a Humphrey Bogart impression for the last, like, 30 minutes, and he might be dead. And you don't, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I feel like when I was reading about Prisoner's Ghostland, like, leading up to it, for some reason, and I, I don't know if maybe I made this up in my head or whatever, but I feel like it involved, like, jumping into another dimension or something. Like, I, I thought the Ghostland, like, took place in, like, an alternate universe that Nicolas Cage had to journey to in order to get Sofia Botella back. Right. Uh, and that, that's, that's pay, what... That's Pay the Ghost, Mike. <laughs> also a wild movie, Mike. Yeah, true. <laughs> but I, I feel like that was, like, part of the description originally, and, uh, you know, that's not really what it is now. I mean, this takes place in this sort of, like, post-apocalyptic Japan, where is this like big settlement called uh, Samurai Town and this like evil governor. It's oh, oh, Road Warrior is what I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's Warrior. definitely Mad Max for sure. Yeah, it's Mad, Mad Max. More than every other movie I mentioned, this is Mad Max <laughs> like, yeah. to a T. You know, it's this like evil entity who has this like big harem of women and all that stuff. And, you know, he's bad and Nicolas Cage is good. And, you know, he has to like rally the people to fight against him and all that stuff. I should love all that shit like that. Like that's yeah. uh, like that's some of my favorite movies have that exact plot. And like, you know, for Nicolas Cage to be at the center of that, for it to be in this like super crazy, weird world, which it does really well establish, I think, with the production design, with the costumes uh, and with just kind of the culture that all these uh, characters have together. Uh, I think all that's good. And for some reason, it all just kind of falls like a little bit flat. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, there's something that's missing either on our part as not having the history of Sono movies and whatever lens we are not viewing this through that Sono is expecting us to, or the movie just isn't that good. (laughs) (laughs) That is a a possibility. I mean, I I think again, I think the movie is basically fine. uh, And it just like, it has the enough elements that I'm into, but I think it just doesn't do enough with those individual elements or like, they all feel like a thoroughly average version of those elements, you know, yeah, with the exception of like Cage at the center, who I think does get some fun moments. But it feels like, you know, you got Nicolas Cage, you got this setting. Let's do something crazy with it. And then it doesn't really do that. Yeah, I felt like there just wasn't enough cohesion in in anything, sort of. I, like yeah, it, I'd agree with that, too. It feels like because like it begins, you know, I think Cage has like one or two lines in that like uh, prologue thing, you know, at the bank. Uh, and then he doesn't talk yeah. for a really long time. And I was like, my oh, name sh- is fire and blood or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, is this a like another silent protagonist role? Like that's this is going to be fucking amazing. I was, ho- was kind of hoping for that when it was going on. Yeah. And there's even a little bit when he's like getting the mission from the governor and he's like pump faking the guys and not saying anything, though. And I was yeah. like, oh, my God. But then by the end, he's given full on speeches. And I was like, what do we do? Like, what is happening? Like, to, to be lane. fair, to be <laughs> fair, his speech is pretty incredible. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's fine, I guess. But it was like, <laughs> it was like, come on. Like, you know, it was just the the inconsistency, I guess, of like, yeah. oh, silent protagonist. 
Oh, no, not at all. Um, I, I, I am like 70 percent sure this movie was made just to get Nicolas Cage to scream the word testicle. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. Pretty sure that was like the main thrust of like, well, I mean, this it needs to exist for this reason. <laughs> yeah, I've got this idea and it's Nicolas Cage yelling testicle. How do we make a movie? <laughs> yes. Can we get 100 more minutes out of that? <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. So like, like I said, there's that bank robbery thing, the opening credits or whatever. And it's kind of like we're in Samurai Town and the guy's like going into the sheriff, whatever, the jail. And there's all these like fake wanted posters on the wall and stuff. And yeah. a couple of those wanted posters are for like anime characters that I recognized. Really? And I was like, oh, OK. Like we're establishing cartoons, anime. We're in that kind of heightened universe. Like it's going to be like that. And then, but even, even having that as like an expectation from then on still didn't, uh, you know, tamper, it didn't work, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. I was like, I, ah, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't recognize them too, Mike, because as you know, I'm big into anime. You are uh, the resident anime guy now. Yes. Right? I've watched two episodes of Star Wars Visions. So, you know, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a big anime guy these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. It's not the, the first episode of Star Wars Visions actually fucking rules. It's really I'm sure it does. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Like, uh, like it's a weird anthology thing, complete tangent, but like the, uh, the first episode is like this really cool, like black and white, like Sith versus Sith, like, you know, very minimalistic, uh, anime thing. And then the second one is like this very like silly cartoony thing for kids about the power of rock and roll in the star Wars universe. And it's wild. Incredible. (laughs) I have not watched anything past that, but they're all like 15 minutes long. So it's like an easy, like, Hey, I got 15 minutes to kill. I watch a Star Wars Visions thing. It's pretty nice. There you go. The, the world that this established, I think, is so big and expansive, and like I think a, a fun world to explore. Uh, I just wish this movie felt like it would explore it more, you know? Yeah. Or or, or if it had more interest in exploring that stuff. Yeah, because even like the the ghosts and the ghost lands, and like it spends a long time explaining that stuff. And I don't know what it is. Uh, and then I feel like it doesn't do anything with it. Like they kind of blow up at the end, and then. We never that's it. Like it's a nuclear explosion. Somehow yeah. everyone walks away and it's fine. Uh, and it's like, what is going on? What is this? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> but there was just there's a lot of there's a lot of moments where I was just like, hmm. And then that's we had there was no other reaction. <laughs> it's just like, what is this? Yeah. Uh, so what did you think of Nicolas Cage in Prisons of Ghostland, Mike? I had read the script and I met with Sonos. We didn't even make the movie yet. I said it in a magazine. This is going to be the wildest script I've ever made and that transmogrified into the wildest movie I've ever made and I, I stand by that. I was just excited to be able to be in his vision and I knew that his vision would be different and I wanted to play in his world and I knew because he had a specific surrealistic vision that I could also go surrealistic with performance style. Mm-hmm. I It's no secret that I've tried to challenge the boundaries of what can be done with performance at great risk, mm-hmm. but I've been blessed to work with filmmakers that have allowed me to do it. And I knew that his vision would support that. Mm-hmm. So coming off a of pig, it was like, yeah, man, go, man, go. Now let's go back to Western Kabuki. Oh, man, I wanted to like him so much in this movie. I mean, I, he's fine, I guess. He's doing his Nick Cage late period action guy thing, though, which isn't that great. Like Willy's Wonderland, right? Is that also Sure. But but he's fighting animatronics, so it can still just be Nicolas Cage. And this is like we put a helmet on Nicolas Cage so we can just always have a stuntman for everything, uh, you know, <laughs> and I feel I don't I don't know. It was just kind of took me out of it. <laughs> it was just maybe because we've seen 104, 103 of his movies. We're sure. like, that's not Nicolas Cage. Um, <laughs> so maybe it made it put me 
in the mindset of the lesser late stage cage movies where it's like, okay, we're going to cut away from this. So now it's a stuntman doing all the flippy flips. But yeah, so I mean, overall, overall, though, he's fine. I guess he's doing the insane like Nicolas Cage on a, on 12 uh, kind of thing, screaming testicle. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't ever have the, you know, like Mandy, I feel like is the perfect synthesis of that where it starts really slow and grounded and builds up to that on this he's just 12 the whole time which i don't seem to enjoy as much as you do because <laughs> every time it comes up you're like that's what we're here for which i guess yeah. we are but <laughs> yeah i mean i wouldn't say that's what we're here for but i think with a movie like prisoners ghostland like that's sort of what i was expecting i guess going into it um but you're right there's no moment in this movie where he's like i like galactus you know that's right not <laughs> there's, it, there's no galactus scene <laughs> Yeah, it's the the rare moment at, towards the end of his or late stage cage. We normally we've talked about where he is the inverse of whatever the movie is. So if the movie's completely bonkers, he's the silent stoic protagonist. Or if the movie is stoic and you know slow cinema, <laughs> he's on twelve. Right. Uh, this everything's on twelve. Uh, yes. It's just like sensory overload. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something did just occur to me though. Is this? the 100th Nicolas Cage movie. Because this is episode 104, but you have to minus a couple of episodes here, right? With Because right. uh, you have to get rid of our ultimate Nicolas Cage countdown. Correct. Uh, which So that brings us down to 103. You got to get rid of Best of Times. That's 102. Get rid of, get rid of uh, History of Swear Words, which is 101. Death Superman Lives takes us down to 100. Oh, uh, but there's uh, Symphony, Industrial Symphony. Oh, no, well, we, that wasn't its own episode. We did that with Wild at Heart. We did that with Wild at Heart. So I right. think... I think it depends on if we count Love Antosha oh. as a Nicolas Cage movie. And oh. if so, this would be his 100th movie of, of his entire career. I'm wow. pretty sure. That's wild. Which I don't is know. Wild. I mean, he's definitely in Love Antosha. Yeah, he's given like a performance in Love Antosha. Like yeah. It's a documentary, but he's narrating it as Anton Yelchin. So yeah. it's a tough it's a tough distinction to make there. But if, if it's not Love Antosha, that means this is movie number 99, probably. Uh, in which case, the the one hundredth movie theoretically would be the unbearable weight of massive talent in which Nicolas Cage plays himself, which feels like a very fitting one hundredth Nicolas Cage. Movie. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll we'll create an internal debate on whether this counts as one hundred or not uh, <laughs> later on. But, yeah, I think Nicolas Cage is good in the movie. I, I think he's solid. I mean, I think this has been a year. Uh, he came out with three movies in twenty twenty one. Right. He came out with this, with Pig and with Willy's Wonderland. I think he's incredible in Pig, truly out of this world. Great in Pig. I think he's also fantastic in Willy's Wonderland as in this like completely silent performance, like totally physical. Uh, I think this is the weakest of the three performances and the weakest of the three movies. But like, you know, he's Nicolas Cage. He's like inherently watchable. And, and yeah. Uh, and, you know, he does a pretty good job just like kind of dealing with the insanity of the world around him. I think he grounds it in some ways. I, I think he does get more insane as the movie goes on. You know, he gets to do his like big screaming uh, testicle thing and all that kind of stuff, which is like really the only moment that I can think of. that's like a true like cage freak out moment. Yeah. Uh, as far as I can think of like off the top of my head. Like like you said, like that first like moment when he first shows up, he's almost completely silent and he's like doing the head fake thing. And, you know, as the governor is trying to explain to him what his job is and like everything the governor is saying is like flat out insanity. Yeah. Uh, and Nicolas Cage is just kind of reacting to it. Uh, and I think he does a pretty good job of like kind of grounding his performance in this very outlandish world and then kind of adapting to the outlandishness of the world uh, as it goes on. Uh, I do think Cage is not the highlight of the movie. I think the highlight is uh, Bill Mosley as the governor, who is a really great scenery chewing villain. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed him, his performance. And I was like, wow, this guy is really good. 
And then the credits roll. And I was like, holy shit, Bill Mosley. Like, I didn't recognize. Didn't like, realize I don't, it was him. I don't really like know who that is. Like, right. F- by his face. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, oh, shit, that's awesome. Like, I knew uh, he's in the, those Rob Zombie movies and stuff. Yes. Uh, yeah, he's he's terrific in this movie as the villain, as the, uh, you know, r- road warrior esque villain uh, or really the Immortan Joe or whatever you want to call it. Like, he's yeah. he's the Mad Max villain of <laughs> Prisoners of the Ghost Land. Uh, and I think Sophia Mattel is pretty good, too, uh, as Bernice. I really like I feel like she was having like a moment like in the mid 2010s where she could have like broken out in a really big way. And I feel like it didn't quite come together. Like she was in Kingsman, right? She was like the yeah. henchman to Samuel L. Jackson in Kingsman. Right. Which I just remember that Samuel L. Jackson was the bad guy in that movie. <laughs> That's why that movie rocks. Yes. Yeah. He's really good in it. Um, but yeah, and she was like, she was like really cool as like gazelle. She had like the metal yeah. legs and stuff. The and sword all these, legs. Cool, these cool fight scenes and stuff. And so she broke out from there and then she was in Star Trek. And then I think the mummy was supposed to be like, okay, Sophia Botella is like in Hollywood. She's going to be in movies. And then the mummy bombed. Uh, yeah. and, and she's popped up in a couple of things here and there, but I haven't seen her like really in a couple of years for her to get, you know, kind of a spotlight role in this movie. I think she's pretty good as Bernice. Who? I mean, obviously you would have noticed in your research, but. Who was the lady in red in Kill Chain? <laughs> it's not her, right? Uh, no. Right? Uh, okay. I don't, yeah. I couldn't remember. Uh, I mean, I have to look it up now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I don't think so. Probably not. That'd be uh, wild, but I don't think it is. No. Kill Chain. The woman in red was played by Annabelle Acosta uh, from the okay. HBO series Ballers. Okay. Sure. Yeah, she's on Ballers and she was also on Quantico on ABC. Those are kind of her two big. Uh, credits according to Wikipedia. Uh, and she was on the, the MacGyver TV show, which we oh. talked about. Uh, what were we talking about recently where we talked Hawaii Five-0. Hawaii 5-0. We're talking about Hawaii yeah. Five-0, uh, which, by the way, you were right. There is a new version of Magnum P.I. Uh, out there. What? Uh, That's fucked up. I, I, saw, I, I saw a commercial for it. I saw a commercial for it. It's on TV right now. <laughs> I hate that I was right about that. <laughs> and the guy does not have a mustache, Mike. That's the whole point of Magnum P.I. It's it, The M stands for mustache. It's mustache <laughs> Agnum P.I. <laughs> Uh, what was the next question I usually ask? How do you think this role fits into the roles oh. that we've seen Nicolas Cage play so far, Mike? Yeah, so you name-checked already uh, Jiu-Jitsu, because that was the one that every fight scene was like, this is fucking Jiu-Jitsu. Um, <laughs> all these martial artists, awesome fight scenes, and then also Nick Cage's stuntman. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know? So there's that, and that was also like a bonkers sci-fi, you know, I feel like Prisoners of the Ghost Land is science fiction in some some capacity. And then also Willy's Wonderland, same similar, similar deal. And I guess also Deadfall, because there's a Deadfall reference, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay, there's there's yeah. one moment where Nicolas Cage shouts, hi, fucking yeah. Yeah. Like a couple times. <laughs> yes. And that, that felt like a deliberate Deadfall reference for specifically us and no one else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah absolutely i was like this is from deadfall right that was even in our fucking our theme song right at one point yes yeah it was <laughs> yeah is it still in our theme song i don't remember it's been a long I time since yeah i mean i'm pretty i don't think the theme song has changed at all yeah, uh, haven't changed since, 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 okay yeah since kyle like updated for the cage uh theme song thing so uh yeah that's still in there which is wild there it yeah. is yeah he said hi fucking yeah again and that was a lot of fun uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I would have forgotten that. Uh, yes, yeah. that's, that's good. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> just imagine you in the, the in the Roxy Annex with like three other people. Be like, oh shit, that's the thing. And How did you just- know exactly what happened? <laughs> <laughs> I was in the back. There were three other people in the Roxy Annex, <laughs> a little further up, and uh, I think one of them looked back at me when I was like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> we've been to too many movies together, I guess. Apparently, yes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so he does the high fucking yacht thing, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and pretty much, I think the same thing as you. Jiu-Jitsu was weirdly the one that I thought of uh, when I was watching this, partially because of the martial arts connection. But I think, compare this to Jiu-Jitsu or any of the other, like, you know, really lousy video on demand cage movies. Like the production value on this is so much higher. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Then, you know, any of those movies. You compare this to jujitsu, jujitsu looks like shit. Like more so <laughs> than it already does. Except you that know. one uh, POV thing. Yeah, oh, yeah, the GoPro shot in jujitsu. Yeah, that was GoPro pretty cool. Shot. Yeah, that, yeah, that was pretty cool. I'll give it that. Uh, you know, and the fight scenes in jujitsu I, I did like back when I watched it in the early days of 2021. <laughs> that was so five months ago, Mike. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think the production value, like compare this to like, you know, jujitsu or kill chain or a score to settle or anything, like any of those movies, like this looks so much better than any of those. Uh, and yeah. so for that reason uh i think it's worth checking out if you're a nicholas cage fan just because hey it's a movie with like kind of a budget like that's that's interesting <laughs> but otherwise pretty much what you said jujitsu i think willie's wonderland like i think there is some similarities to the performance uh in that movie but of course willie's wonderland is a much more uh comedic film yeah uh, whereas prison of the ghost land it definitely has comedic elements to it but it is just uh it's trying to be like a sincere road warrior ripoff all right, so uh, let's start running the movie down scene by scene. And uh, since I saw this in the movie theater and did not watch it at home, uh, I was not able to take notes or anything like that. Uh, so I don't have like a really detailed, you know, shot by shot, like this is what happened kind of deal in the movie. But I do have a Wikipedia plot synopsis available. <laughs> I do want to say, too, that I think m- maybe seeing it in the theater gives it that little bit of a boost sure. on like an enjoyability level because I was I- watching it. There was definitely a moment at like, you know, 45 minutes where I was like, Man, if I didn't have to watch this, I probably wouldn't anymore. Um, you know, <laughs> not like not like a movie moment, but just like a sure. like a, a you know a, ch- a mental check in <laughs> halfway through the yep. movie, where I was like, yeah, I'd be out of here. <laughs> like I would <laughs> definitely have turned this off. There is something to be said for like the uh, the mental gymnastics of like you're forcing yourself to watch a movie while you're in a theater. Like you're yeah. you know you're enclosed in a room, you're stuck in a seat. The movie keeps going. You can't pause it or anything like that. And like yeah, you can leave. Like you can get up and go, but like. So there's just the mentality of like, you know, you're in there and you're in the zone like there's no phone. You're completely in the dark. uh, And that does, I think, give a lot of movies a certain boost. uh, And I think it does give like the tiniest of boosts to Prisoners of the Ghostland, I would say. I mean, I might have I might have enjoyed like been more in line with you to be like, yeah, it was okay. Um, Yeah. From I didn't enjoy this. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so let's run the movie down scene by scene. And by that, I mean, we're going to start just start reading the Wikipedia synopsis. And uh, kind of just talk about the movie as we go, like as far as it goes. So the movie opens in a region in Japan devastated and quarantined years ago in an accident in which highly volatile nuclear waste was spilled after a crash between the waste transport and a prison bus. A settlement called Samurai Town is ruled by an unscrupulous governor who has blended elements of Japanese society, both modern modern day and pre-modern, and the old American West together at his whim and is keeping a harem of adopted granddaughters as his sex slaves. So that's the first sentence. That's a lot to take in. That's a that's one of there's a lot of commas doing a lot of heavy lifting in that <laughs> sentence. Um, yes, there and is. And two, you don't find any of that out for over an hour. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Uh, yeah, this is the structure of the movie uh, works a little bit differently because the movie does open uh, with this sort of flashback to Nicolas Cage's past uh, as sort of a bank robber and his team. And uh, there's this kid with all these multicolored candies and he's like, oh, I'll give you some candy. And this guy yeah. shoots the kid and all that stuff. And so, and then later you see like more of what happened in that scene. Like you see like the aftermath of that guy and firing and all that kind of stuff. But that's how the movie opens really is with Nicolas Cage in that sequence. And then 
you kind of get introduced to Samurai Town. And then you don't find out when the bank robbery takes place for another hour, <laughs> like a very long time when he realizes Sophia Batella is the young girl in that right. scene. You're like, oh, my God, what is happening? <laughs> but up until now, it's pretty cool. You know, the bank robbery yeah. scene is pretty cool. The gumdrops or gumballs like raining out of the machine after the kid gets shot. Right. It's a thing, a recurring like flashback memory for Cage. And that's like really cool. Like, you know, visually of all the gumballs flying everywhere. And then Samurai Town is just cartoons. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a cartoon world. Uh, so the outside is a wasteland known as the Ghostland, inhabited by half-crazed outcasts and victims of the irradiated environment. Just before the catastrophe, Hero, a criminal, was imprisoned in the aftermath of a botched bank robbery, where his partner Psycho brutally murdered several innocent bystanders. It is later revealed that Psycho was in the prison transport, which collided with the waste truck and thus set off the disaster. So yeah, weird, weirdly structured synopsis. I'm gonna give it give yeah, it that right here because that's mostly info that- <laughs> third act stuff in the first paragraph. <laughs> yeah, but all. But also when you watch the movie, like not much has happened for a long time, like a long time. Right. Yeah. The fr- I mean, the first half hour, or maybe not half hour, 20 minutes, 15 minutes is the bank robbery. The governor explaining the entire world because <laughs> it has so much exposition um, <laughs> yep. to, to hero to cage and uh, giving him the suit. So I was like kind of really on board up to, for most of this part where it's him explaining, you know, the bombs. You have to go rec- rescue Bernice. Oh, we actually we actually we see Bernice leave before this. Yes, that's the next sentence in the uh, synopsis. It says, uh, one night, Bernice, one of the granddaughters, quote-unquote, flees from the governor's house with her friends Stella and Nancy, only to get stranded in the ghost land. Right. So she wakes up, like, in the the ghost land. Uh, And then we cut back to Samurai Town. And there's a whole thing with his governor explaining, put put the suits, it's got bombs on your balls, on your wrists, or your elbows, or whatever. Yeah, it's hell comes to Frogtown. It's hell comes to Frogtown, yeah. You're going to blow up if you don't if you do have sex. He gives him the keys to the car and Cage gets in the car. It tells him like, oh, you have three days, blah, 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 whatever. And he gets in the car and he just like starts to drive away and he like burns out and then gets out of the car and gets on a pink bicycle with a little yellow basket on the front and rides (laughs) out of town. And I was like, I don't. I don't know anymore. <laughs> that was kind of the first question mark for me. Is this a movie? Yeah. <laughs> or is, is this, this some fever dream that I'm having? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is, is this anything? I don't know if this is anything. Right. Uh, but yeah, it, weirdly, you know, I, and I mentioned all these movies before Road Warrior and Hell and um, all that kind of stuff. Army of Darkness. But really, Hell Comes to Frogtown is the movie that I think this most resembles, you know. Oh, yeah. And which Hell Comes to Frogtown also a Mad Max knockoff. I should say, right. I should say yes. that. It's a knockoff um, of a knockoff. It's a knockoff of a knockoff. But I mean, you know, the fact that they put Nicolas Cage in this suit uh, and, you know, they have the explosives on all parts of the suit, but especially on his balls. And they make special note of that. And it's like, oh, hey, if anything happens, boom. I will say I, I give this movie credit for going a little bit further than Hell Comes to Frogtown does and actually exploding one of Cage's balls. Yes, correct. <laughs> so you get that. You get like I think part of his arm explodes, too, at some point. Right. Yeah, because I forget that he, that he tells him the suit can detect the impulse to hit somebody so he can't hit Bernice. And also, right. if you get horny, it'll blow up your balls. <laughs> and both things happen. <laughs> yeah. That does happen, which we'll talk about uh, in a second. Uh, the governor has Hero released to retrieve Bernice from the ghost land and outfits him with a bodysuit, which is said to detonate explosive charges in case he mistreats Bernice in any way. Uh, the suit itself is tampered with or Bernice has not been rescued within five days. So Cage has five days to get Bernice. And really, he has three days. 
Uh, you know, and I, and I kind of liked that like detail of like, you know, he, there's five slots in the thing. Only three of them are glowing. Uh, and in order for him to get the extension of the extra two days, he has to reach Bernice and she has to say her name into his suit so they can get the full five days to come home. Yeah, which is like such a arbitrary villain move, but yeah. like it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it makes it, you know, the pressure is on for Nicolas Cage to like, you know, get there in three days, but also gain her trust enough to get the extension for the five days and, you know, bring her back to uh, the governor who she doesn't want to go back to and all that kind of stuff. So all that stuff, I think, pretty much works and all of it. Very reminiscent of Matt. <laughs> yeah. And that was the the part two at the beginning in Samurai Town where I was like, oh, he's not he hasn't talked in a long time while governor's explaining everything. Yeah. And then Yashihiro, I think, or is the governor's like henchman guy yes. uh, is like just also starts murdering dudes. And I don't really know why. Just to prove what a badass he is, I think. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. He's cool. I liked him a yes. lot. His character was neat. He was pretty cool. C- Cage does have a line here where, uh, you know, the governor's explaining to him that, uh, you know, his granddaughter has left and he shows her a picture of Sophia Patella uh-huh. and uh, Cage sees her and like kind of makes a comment like, huh, I could see why you want her back, like implying that he, you know, it's he, she's one of his sex slaves and somebody's and like, oh, like, oh, what, what, what a mouth on this one. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. what's really strange, too, there's a lot of this was the thing that I was like, oh, I don't know. Am I just not enough of a Sono Stan, <laughs> which is that I'm not one at all. Right. Uh, with like all the chanting and singing and stuff that's going on with everybody all the time forever in this movie, uh, especially in Samurai Town where they're chanting like governor when he shows up. And then after he says that comment, I think they chant something until Yashihiro is going to like attack. I don't really remember. There's just a lot of like weird sing song stuff that happens in this movie. That's like just creepy and weird. <laughs> yes. Uh, I enjoy that kind of stuff. Like just that weird, yeah. you know, off kilter kind of thing. Uh, and you know, as far as being a, a Sono stand goes, you know, I, I have heard that many of the movies are very good. Uh, I'm and, sure. Yeah. You know, one day maybe I'll watch a few of them, but uh, yeah, I, I'm going into this completely blind, not knowing what to expect. Uh, like from what I've read from people who are like big fans of his work, this seems like pretty tame in comparison, <laughs> you know? Wow. So take that for what you will. I know he didn't write this movie. Uh, he, uh, you know, directed it without writing the screenplay, which normally I think he's involved in the actual writing of his movies. But uh, this is also his very first movie in English. Right. Uh, and so that might have been like a factor uh, as well. But uh, all right. So when departing, Hiro undertakes a parting gesture of defiance against the governor, which impresses Yashihiro, the governor's samurai bodyguard, whose sister is one of the governor's granddaughters. Yeah, I think that's when he uh, jumps out of the car and gets on the bicycle and runs away. <laughs> Yes. And then I think it's Yashihiro who uh, comes up in the car and like just drives up to him and Cage is like, I guess I don't have time huh? and starts driving the car. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yes. Uh, all right. So upon entering the ghost land, Hiro is intercepted by a band of mutated men, suffers an accident and is taken by the outcast to their cult like enclave and their leader, Enoch. So this is like he like, you know, it's kind of like a little Mandy ish, right? Those like the black riders guys yeah. from Mandy. That's sort of what these dudes all kind of look like, but you don't really ever get to see anything, right? They're kind of backlit in front of the headlights of the bus and all this stuff. And cage guns it at them and they're in his car. Uh, and then I think it just like goes to white and fades back in and he's crashed his flipped his car. <laughs> right. Like, uh, all right. Yeah. And he kind of wakes up and then he's in this, like, you know, the new ghost land town and they're, you know, seeing this like mysterious stranger who has arrived uh, and then there's this whole sequence where he's uh, trying to find Bernice and it says he finds Bernice among them, but she is half catatonic from the trauma. 
and basically he's like going through all these like, you know, standing mannequin statues and like taking the ceramic off of their faces and like see and then seeing humans underneath. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, see, like just trying to see which one is Bernice or not until finally he reaches her. Yeah, that scene was really cool. But there's about 10 minutes where he's just on the back of a cart being dragged through ghost, ghost land. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck is going on? But this was the moment where I was like, oh, this is a real set with real extras. That's not just CG stuff in the background, like because it's a it's a long sequence where he's just going yeah. to see every section of the ghost land. All the different people doing different dances and chants and stuff like in that giant courtyard in front of the clock as he comes in where I was like, wow, this is actually really fucking cool. Like This is wild. <laughs> You know, that's that's the thing. I feel like there's enough here in this movie that is cool that it's going to get like reclaimed down the line somewhere. I, I, I think it, yeah. I could see like, you know, 20, 30 years from now, this becomes like a midnight favorite kind of thing at like, you know, repertory screenings or like Vinegar Syndrome puts out a Blu-ray or whatever the equivalent of Vinegar Syndrome is 30 years from now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, does that thing. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, shit, Prison of this Ghostland, like everyone's favorite Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it has that kind of energy, right? Like it has the kind of energy, like a hell comes to Frogtown or whatever, a movie that like, if I saw hell comes to Frogtown back in the theaters in 1987 or whatever, I probably would have dismissed it. I, yeah. I probably would have been like, this is really stupid. And now being able to watch it on Blu-ray and like, ah, yes, the genius of hell comes to Frogtown. <laughs> <laughs> Truly a masterwork of the era. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This deserves so, a, a, a boutique Blu-ray release. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, Prison of the Ghostland, you know, I, I don't think it's as good as Hell Comes to Frogtown, but like future generations might. And I think it's yeah. like stuff, stuff like this, uh, that would encourage them to feel that way. You know, just the, the weirdness of the whole, like the whole world of this, that creates in the Ghostland and this mannequin sequence and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they explain the mannequins and I don't really like they're hiding them from the ghosts or something. But like I said, they go to great lengths to explain everything, and I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so as he prepares to transport Bernice back, Hero accidentally triggers one of his suit's explosives, which destroys one of his testicles and renders him unconscious. <laughs> accidentally is a strong word. Uh, yeah. So what exactly happens in the sequence? He's he's trying to get Bernice to say her name in the thing. Right. right. Bef- to get, before to get that. the extra two days. Yeah. So he like throws her on the cart because she's still 90 percent mannequin. Yeah. Or, you know, inside the mannequin, get back to his car, trying to get her to say the thing. She won't speak. So he starts to take the mannequin off of her like the little because and it's also like in creepy, like cut up jigsaw pieces like it's gross. Yes. So he starts peeling it off and he keeps just being like, yeah, take it off, take it off. And he slowly gets more and more sexual uh, until his suit starts starts beeping. Oh, no, he pours uh, water from his canteen into her mouth. Uh, OK, he's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's like being all gross, Nick Cage, all sweaty. And then the suit starts beeping and he's like, what? No. And then it's, <laughs> he, he, his head go blows up. It's like originally they wanted to take that scene out. Even my manager wanted to take it out. And I was like, well, no, because it's kind of like what's happening now, you know, and these are dangerous waters, but like sexual assault, you know, that you want to be very careful. You don't want to offend anybody. You don't want to treat women that way. Right. And I think that scene is kind of like a microcosm of the, you know, warning, warning, you know, mm-hmm. that's why I thought they should put it back in. Which which happens so suddenly, too, yeah. uh, which is great. And it ha- like, you know, I think envisioning that because I, I didn't expect them to actually blow up any part of Nicolas Cage. Right. Unless it was yeah, like a very course. end, like self-sacrifice thing. But I, I was picturing it like, oh, if one of those bomb goes off, the entire suit will blow up and he will just die. Like that. That's 
what I pictured it when they were describing it. Uh, but instead, like all these like individual like small bombs are like just small enough to destroy that part of the body uh, that they are on in the suit. Uh, yeah. And he's got the two that are on each of his testicles, and one of them. <laughs> blows up and he's just immediately like screaming and like, you know, holding his crotch in pain and, you know, bleeding out uh, on the ground. <laughs> yeah. And then he picks up his testicle and yells testicle at the camera. <laughs> yeah. So he got that going on, too. I, I think both both Nicolas Cage and Bill Mosley, I think, get some really fun pronunciations of the word testicle. Uh, yeah. Because when Bill Mosley says it towards the beginning, he's like, and you have bombs right there on your testicles. There. Like he like <laughs> yeah. elongates it, you know? <laughs> he's really just a southern chicken lawyer. Um, <laughs> basically, is the voice he's doing. Exactly, yes. But yeah, so C- Cage is now minus one ball, and he is yes. unconscious. And now, in a nightmare flashback, Hero recognizes Bernice as a young girl whose mother was killed while he tried to escape the police after the bank robbery and who was subsequently taken in by the governor. So uh, not only does Cage know this girl now, like he realizes who she is, like he is, I mean, directly responsible for her position in life now as one of the governor's sex slaves. Yeah. When he's taking all the uh, mannequin stuff off, he sees that she has like a gunshot scar on her leg. And he's like, oh, what a like weird scar you have. And then he has that flashback where he sees that where yep. the mom dies and she gets shot. So, yeah. After, so after this, uh, now Cage is like starting to uh, kind of come to a little bit. And Bernice is like awake now and she's trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, and now the sentence says attacked by the mutants from earlier. Uh, Hero is rendered unconscious when an explosive on his arm is set off uh, just before the assailants vanish. So now he is minus one ball and also minus one arm because the suit is like designed for him not to be able to hit anybody. And if he's trying to defend himself, that makes the arm explosive go off. Yeah, but that scene actually is really fucking creepy, right? Because she crawls over, I think, when it's he's unconscious from his testicle bomb (laughs) Uh, and says her name and like reclaims her voice. Right. It's like a big moment. Because the ghosts took it or something. So he's awake now. They've got the extra time. And then they turn around and it's just all their dude, these dudes on their hands and knees. And they're like, skitter, 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 skitter. Like it's got this gross <laughs> skitter noise uh, when the the like mutant dudes show up and they right. like, attack them. Uh, we're like, oh, fuck. Like it was really creepy. Uh, and then his arm blows up. <laughs> and he keeps saying like, no, who's rubbing up on me? And then his arm blows up. It's like, what the fuck is this? Movie? Yeah, I mean. You know, I feel like when we're describing it, I can sort of take back what I said before is like, you know, this isn't the wildest movie Nicolas Cage ever made. <laughs> I still don't think it is, but I, I can see why it would be in the conversation. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's in the running. But I, if it was a good movie, I, I'd be more inclined to say I it. think that's what it is. And a lot of this stuff is is like wild. Yes, in theory. Um, but I need to <laughs> but I need to be engaged for it to truly be wild, you know? <laughs> I need to be stimulated intellectually. I need to be watching a masterpiece like Deadfall in order to feel in order to feel that this is wild, you know? Correct. Not every movie suddenly has a robotic lobster claw is all I'm saying. <laughs> On Angus Scrim's arm while Charlie Sheen is, uh, you know, the devil playing pool who suddenly shows up and Nicolas yeah. Cage like dies uh, from an air fryer. Or, he like, gets deep fried. Yeah. Yeah. He gets deep fried. It's wild. It's a wild time. Deadfall. Deadfall is truly the wildest Nicolas Cage movie. I don't even know why this conversation's even being had. I, <laughs> I, I guess to market prisoners. Ghosts. <laughs> yeah, basically. But still, uh, Deadfall, truly his wildest film. And then it says, however, the detonation shakes Bernice from her catatonia. And yeah, so she wakes up because of the explosion and she defends Nicolas Cage from the mutants. And that must be when she wakes up 
Uh, right. And reclaims her voice and yada, yes. yada, yada. <laughs> yes, it does all that stuff. Meanwhile, Stella returns from the ghost land and is captured by the governor's men, who has Yasuhiro execute her, which finally turns him against the governor. Uh, so Stella, I believe, is his sister, right? No, that's one of the friends that escaped with Bernice. The oh, okay, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yeah, yeah which I one is Stella then? Stella is the one that escaped with Bernice. The okay, sister so, is, uh, I think, okay. the one with the robot toy that's always, like, around. Okay, yeah. I think? Yeah, that, that makes sense. At, at this point, honestly, like, you know, I'm, I'm checking out of the movie a little bit mentally. <laughs> yeah. I'm enjoying the uh, the cool cinematography and the production design uh, and some of the cool fight scenes. Um, but on a story level, I'm pretty out of it at this point. Yeah, there's a lot of, ca- I mean, Cage's character is named Hero, right? There's a lot of, like, kind of just archetype characters around that aren't yep. named. Um, and there was also a weird, like, subtitle thing. I don't, did this happen? I don't know if it was different. You know, I watched, I rented it on Amazon. And there was a lot of parts that are in Japanese that just have no subtitles. Oh, yeah, that, that was, like, in theaters, too. Okay, I, th- I, w- I thought so, but I was just, like, because, like, I had the subtitles on, and it would just be, like, speaks Japanese. <laughs> I'd be like, well, <laughs> that doesn't help. Um, right, uh, but I guess that was a deliberate choice. Um, okay. You know, which, and I think the Japanese, like, there's just enough of it where you can kind of just pick up what's going on through context. They don't have like extended sequences where like they're talking nonstop Japanese, right? No. Yeah. It's not like anyone, not like two characters are speaking, like having a conversation in Japanese that you can't understand. You know, it's like somebody talking to cage and you kind of like can figure it out, but it definitely doesn't help with the like understanding of the (laughs) movie as a whole. Right. Yeah. Which is already a pretty difficult movie to understand on its own. But I, but I think you can kind of get like what they're saying from context. It's never like super important dialogue. It's kind of like, when you're watching Spider-Verse and, uh, you know, there's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the scenes where they're like also speaking Spanish and it's not subtitled or anything like that. It's just part of their language kind yeah. of thing. And uh, this this world, this ghost land samurai town world is this like, you know, Americanized Japanese hybrid kind of thing, which kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of Firefly. Um, yeah. Which, have you, you did you watch Firefly uh, at, at some point, Mike? No, I've never actually watched like a full sit down of it, but I've seen stuff. Okay, yeah. One of the things about Firefly is that it takes place like 500 years in the future, you know, on several distant planets off world and stuff. But like the idea is that Chinese culture and American culture have like kind of amalgamated into one culture. And that has become like, you know, the universe's culture, sort of. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's kind of the same thing here in in Prisons Ghostland, at at least in Samurai Town. There, There could be a lot much more in this world outside of the realm of Samurai Town and Ghostland that we don't know about. Yeah. And that's the one thing. That's one of the things like that as a little bit of a knock against the movie where it's like, those are the two sets, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we kind of have a little bit of a road in between. Uh, but that's about it. Right. It's I mean, if you can, if you describe it like that, it's like Mad Max Fury Road where they you know, like, you leave one place and they drive to another place and they drive back to the same place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but there's a lot of action in between. And in yes. this, it's we fade to white and fade back and we're at the other place <laughs> yeah. already. Exactly. So having had a revelation during his unconsciousness about his accidental his accidental role in the cataclysm, uh, Hero stirs the Ghostlanders into a revolt against the governor, aided by Psycho and the mutants, his fellow convicts from the fateful accident. Uh, so this oh, is when man. we Hero- skipped over. We yada yada a lot of stuff. in there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we did. But this is when like Hero kind of like, you know, comes together. Savio Patella is like, you know, talking to the people in the ghost land and, you know, want to like revolt against the governor. And Hero is like on her side now. And he gives his big speech. Right. Yeah. He, he gets to give his big speech to the people of the Ghostland who think it's hopeless. They like you can't face off against the governor. He's you know, he's too powerful and all this stuff. It's Road Warrior. It's it's exactly yeah. Road Warrior. And it's also Army of Darkness uh, like this. And, and I've seen Army of Darkness more than Road Warrior. So the entire time I was just think, like picturing 
Bruce Campbell, like, you know, teaching them how to like use spears and all yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff, like in Army of Darkness. Um, but Cage has that like big, you know, speech moment, his big rallying cry. And- now hear this, Ghostlanders. Tomorrow, getting out of here. Impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> impossible. Ha! If you had told me three days ago I'd be standing here with one arm and one testicle trying to reason with you, bitches! I would have said impossible too. But I'm telling you, there's a way. There is no way. Yes, there is. And if we don't stop them, they'll break free. They'll roam the world, terrorizing and killing. We'll be their prisoners forever! Why are we afraid? It's just time to time! I mean, you can stay here, suffer, survive. I don't have the time! I got one day to tear this shit apart. Well, you can either help me or rot. You know, the one moment where he's like, you know, I'm the last person I thought would be here with standing before you with one testicle. (laughs) You know, also just gets to really scream the word testicle, uh, which is really great. Uh, And, you know, I think. He, he dives into that kind of big rallying cry speech in a way. Like, I, I was trying to think. I don't think he's ever had to give a speech like that in any of his movies before. Yeah, it's like his Independence you know? Day speech. Exactly, uh, yeah. yeah. It's his Independence Day. It's this, you know, the scene in Game of Thrones when Peter Dinklage has his big speech. Let's go kill them and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Your brave hearts, your Lord of the Rings. Like, you know, the, there's so many movies that have, like, the big epic rallying cry speech to lead you into battle. And uh, I don't think Nicolas Cage, really, Cage hasn't really made a ton of movies in which that kind of speech would apply, <laughs> you right. know? Uh, and I think the only one I could think of that, like, maybe would have had one is Season of the Witch. <laughs> You know? Yeah, or like Con Air. <laughs> Maybe Con Air. Uh, I mean, that would Not be right. wild if you have one in Con Air. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Season of the Witch, maybe, but, like, I, I don't think he has any kind of speech like that. I think they mostly just joke about drinking in the bars with Ron Perlman. Yeah. That's that's all they do. Uh, so I think he, this is, like, the first time he's ever had to deliver a speech like this, and I think he, like, delivers it with gusto. I think he's a lot of fun in it. Yeah, it's definitely a cool, a cool, like, wild moment that's happening for Cage. And there's also this, like, whole thing at the go in the ghostlands where they're like stopping the clock from ticking because they can't because like the bomb destroys time or some weird like that was part right. of the stuff i was like i cannot decipher what this this is and it's cool like it's a, like just a weird like thing that's happening in the background of the movie a lot yep. and then like the governor had c- controls time or like isn't afraid of it but everybody else in the world is. And it's like this big triumphant thing, you know, that cage is rallying them about yes. time. And then his like suit is counting down the days and they're, they all panic because he's counting time and they're like, nah, like <laughs> while he's giving the speech, it beeps. Right. Is like kind of the thing. Right. That made me think of that. So yeah, just weird themes <laughs> going on. Hashtag themes. Yeah. Analysis <laughs> in this movie. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, we mentioned in the sentence uh, he's aided by Psycho and the mutants, his fellow convicts from the fateful accident. So Psycho comes back. Right. Uh, the guy from Face Off, Nick Cassavetes. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's a that's a wild time. And so Psycho's like on their side now. Uh, so Psycho was the one who set off like 
you know, the chain of events uh, in motion or, or sorry, wait. Um, yeah. Psycho is the one that killed all the people in the bank robbery and gets yes. arrested. Right. And then Psycho is on the bus that hits the radioactive material and explodes. Yes. So now they face off against each other and say they realize that it's Psycho. And then he's <laughs> like, ah, brother. And they do the. Yeah, the, they have like a the reconciliation. Predator <laughs> yeah. <with> the high <laughs> five. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's that Predator scene. And so Psycho's on their side now. Yes. Uh, which is an interesting turn of events, considering that really the bank robbery going south was Psycho's fault. Like he's the one who shot the kid. And yeah, I don't know. It's really weird because then him and Cage get in a big fight. And they're there too long and the cops show up, which is why he gets arrested and why Bernice gets shot and like all this stuff and like blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So it's like they try to make it both of their faults. But like Psycho definitely shot all those people <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in, the, in the bank robbery. So I don't it's a really weird moment. And then he just like decides to d- explode <laughs> like he gives right. me, it's a nuclear bomb, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, at this point completely lost the thread of what's happening in this movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's like, I uh, will set you free. And then it's just like, what? Like, right. And he blows up and then it fades to white again. And, uh, yep. I don't know. Yeah. What a time. What a time this was. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, so psycho was with the mutants, uh, hero and Bernice return to samurai town. But when the governor refuses to unlock the suit and hero pretends to take Bernice hostage, Bernice's friend, Susie traumatized from the governor's treatment of her massacres, several of his bodyguards with a minigun. <laughs> Yeah, which was a straight up Lone Wolf and Cub reference. Oh, nice. It's, it's a baby cart and then a minigun pops up and she's like, and just mows them all down. <laughs> and I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that, that rules. I've only seen I, I actually just bought the Lone Wolf and Cub uh, Criterion uh, set oh, nice. uh, not too long ago. I haven't gotten around to watching them yet, but we saw Shogun Assassin. Uh, yeah. during a Hudson horror marathon back in the day. And uh, then you got like really into those movies for, for a bit. Yeah. Cause uh, I bought that box set and watched all of them. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so that happens, which is pretty cool. And yeah, that's like kind of the big confrontation now where, you know, hero takes Bernice in and, you know, it's, it, they are going to try to make it go smoothly where they're like, the governor will let cage out and do all the things. Uh, but then of course the governor is not going to unlock the suit. That would be a poor ending to the movie if uh, we didn't get to kill the governor. So we got to kill the governor. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, Hero, Bernice, and Yashihiro overcome the remainder. And then Hero faces off against and kills Yashihiro while Bernice shoots the governor. So it like, just becomes a big like samurai town fight uh, sequence. Yes. Which is actually pretty cool. But this is where I was like, like, you know, you put the helmet on Gage, which is a pretty funny, like American football helmet. Um, yes. And then it's like, OK, that's the stuntman <laughs> like doing yes. everything, which is fine. Fair I enough. get it. You know, fair fair enough. enough. It's a, it, it may be a stuntman, but you know what? The choreography is very cool, I think. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That's yeah. the other thing is the fights are really cool. Yeah. Uh, the, the fights are cool. And like Cage versus Yashiro Hero is like, you know, it's a fun sequence. And, you know, I think Cage, but like Cage just slices his neck, I think, at the end. Right. And that's uh, at some point or something. Yeah. At some point. But he slices somebody's neck at some point and it rules. It's really it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's revealed. Right. So his arm blew up. Yes. And he's like been it was like all bandaged and stuff. And then he goes to those like Ratman guys, which are my favorite part of this movie, which are like the Tetsuo Iron Man reference, which right. are the guys that like all obsessed with cars and have like all the metal shit playing around off them. And I only clocked yeah. that because you just tweeted about. I, I just Tetsuo. watched Tetsuo the Iron Man the other day because uh, the trash talk uh, movie at the Roxy Theater was Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer uh, on oh, Friday. Nice. Uh, and so I was like, well, I got to watch the original before I go see Tetsuo 2 and uh, Tetsuo, the, the original Fucking wild movie, man. Uh, yeah. T- talk about a wild movie, Nicolas Cage. Uh, <laughs> that's <what> the <laughs> Iron Man. If you want to see you guys dick turn into a drill, you can watch it in that movie. 
You gotta watch Tetsuo. Yeah, I have, there's a, Arrow has a, I think it's called Solid Metal Nightmares. And I've mostly got it because I wanted to watch Tetsuo, but then also got, you know, eight other movies <laughs> or whatever it is. Pretty like, good deal. Yeah, nice. It. So he goes to them and they like, like, oh, we can fix your arm. We'll f- make a thing. And you don't really get to see what it is. It just sees that it's like in a metal casing until yeah. this fight when somebody pulls off the sleeve of his jacket and he's got a fucking sword arm now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yes, it's like, yep. here we go. And he just starts slicing people. Yeah, and it's fucking dope. Uh, so yeah. yeah, Cage kills Yasuhiro. Bernice shoots the governor. Uh, and then it says, with the oppressor dead and the outcast liberated, Hero, Bernice, and Susie watch as Samurai Town begins to stir with new, freer life. Yeah, they go back to Ghost Town and do the, like, the evil is defeated thing. Is it? I think <laughs> the that's spirit can The spirit can exist in the happy frog, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's then. I think that happens first. And they uh, release the rope on the clock. Like, they tell them that the governor is dead. Oh, no, they don't go back. Um, the person that was, like, lookout woman at the Ghostlands that was always, like, ringing right. the bell when they would show up, she is at Samurai Town and runs back to the Ghostlands, tells them the governor is dead, and they all celebrate, like, the Ewoks. <laughs> and then they release the rope on the clock. They don't, like, they don't, they don't have to be prisoners of time anymore. And then the whole fucking thing explodes. I was like, what is happening? Like, a, like that was a countdown this whole time. That yeah. was cool. That's a good thing they were holding it. <laughs> yeah, they knew they were right. It turns out. Um, exactly. But they also arrive. You know, they, they knew what was going to happen. Right. And then that moment at the end when they're like at the bus stop and it's Cage and Sophia Batella and Susie and they're all just sitting there and they kind of like all slump over onto each other. And they're just like. Ah, uh, we did it. Kind of. Moment. I was like, this is where I want this movie. This shit rock. Like, this was really cool. It's like turns into slow cinema for a minute. You know? Right. <laughs> it's just like wistfully looking at the town as people sweep up and get ready for the day. Like, I oh, need an cool. I need an hour of Denzel Washington teaching a girl how to swim. <laughs> and yes, and then ghost ghost prisoner the prisoners of the ghost pool, and I'm in. This is a reference to uh, Michael McGregor the movies for anybody who <laughs> uh, we love crossing over <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that is that is the end of Prisoners of Ghostland. It kind of ends them being like, man, I think Samurai Town's going to be a pretty cool place to live from now on. And then yeah. end credits. <laughs> yeah, basically. There's uh, a new sheriff in town, kind of. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I guess is Cage like sticking around Samurai Town now or is he going to be like Mad Max and kind of like the lone wanderer kind of thing? I don't know. He seems like he'd be ready to settle down. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see like another Prisoners of the Ghostland movie, uh, hopefully a more coherent one in the same vein as Mad Max, where it's like, you know, Nicolas Cage, the lone wanderer, and he goes to different areas, maybe like each one modeled after like a different culture mashup sort of thing or whatever right. of the world or whoever it works or all that kind of stuff. You know, I think there's like potential in this world that they've created, like the world itself, the world building is a lot of fun. And I think there's like a lot of really cool stuff in the movie. I just wish it was better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like there's just something that falls flat here and it's like not totally clear what I think it's just that like it's taking all the parts of like all these other movies that I already like and not doing anything new with them. Yeah, it's definitely just like somehow, like you said, adding adding all these things that I should enjoy together and it comes out wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what about it is wrong. Yeah, super weird. But uh, any final thoughts about Prisons Ghostland Mike before I start moving on to Letterboxd Reviews? No, I was definitely more negative than you. Like I said, I definitely would have just shut it off uh, if I didn't have to have watched it. Yeah. So there's that, I guess, you know. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I I thought it was solid enough. Uh, Like I was fine. Like, you know, when I came out of the theater and, uh, you know, I I knew the person who was uh, running the theater and she asked me like, oh, so how was it? And I I, I was kind of just collecting my thoughts. And I was like, I mean, I guess it was fine. Like, (laughs) you know. (laughs) 
But, you know, you, you picture this movie and, like, the description and Nicolas Cage and the star of it. And you just – you picture something. You build it up in your mind as something more than this movie is. And, unfortunately, this movie doesn't quite get there. But uh, some other people did enjoy it, Mike. So let's talk about some letterbox reviews. Yes. Uh, for Prisoners of the Ghostland, here's one with no rating from Karen Hahn, film critic who is on a bunch of podcasts and stuff. She appears on Blank Check every once in a while. Prisoners of the Ghostland may not be a perfect movie, but I'll tell you one thing it absolutely does do. Whip ass. <laughs> And that's yeah. the entire review. <laughs> I mean, I guess. You know? Yeah. Even if you don't like the movie, I don't think you can disagree with that. With that sentiment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish it whipped ass in a way that I enjoyed enough. You know, yes. it's like, ah, it just is not, it does. It's not working for me. Exactly. Uh, here's a three and a half star review from Anna Kendrick Lamar. Great name. Something happened. I don't know what happened. And perhaps it's not for me to say, or even to speculate, but I believe Nicholas Cage has lost someone he truly loved. My- <laughs> Much like Brian De Palma repeatedly returning to stories of impotent men unable to save a crucial figure in their lives, Latter-day Cage is continuously drawn to characters that allow him to grieve on screen. He's always been a great actor, and he's always come across as ever so slightly cracked, but these recent performances are defined by a newfound awareness of his own brokenness and a sense of suffering that can only be unleashed in fits of hysterical sobbing or raging aggression. The man is so prolific that it's almost impossible to keep track of every role, but his ongoing run of Mandy, Colorado Space, Willy's Wonderland, Pig, and now Prisoners of the Ghostland adds up to a pentology of pain. Pain that is so uniformly depicted across five wildly different movies that it surely originates with him. And the routine never feels tired because it's always coming from a place of raw, weeping and gnashing of teeth honesty. Sion Sono's latest offers grindhouse thrills in an art house package. Game viewers will be hypnotized by the dreamlike visuals one minute and delighted by Bill Mosley's loquacious antagonist the next. But at the center of it all, there's our man, God Cage, grunting and howling obscenities and brutalizing everyone he can get his hands on, rock and rolling them when they're dead. Yeah, it's no longer a late stage cage. It's just suffering cage. <laughs> yeah, but I think that is a good analysis of uh, you know, Absolutely. These, these last uh, few cage movies that we've been talking about over the past few years. Like there is like this kind of connecting thread between a lot of these performances. I think they kind of like hit the nail on the head. Uh, but there you go. Here's a one and a half star review from Tao A, which reads, I think the first and the biggest mistake they've made here was getting a Sion Sono to direct a movie that he didn't write. People on here tend to overrate Sion Sono, the director, but underrate Sion Sono, the writer, because what makes a Sion Sono movie so unmistakably Sion Sono is not the crazy camera work or editing, of which there are none, but the absolutely batshit, borderline genius ideas that no one but Sion Sono could have conjured up. If anything, I would even argue Sion Sono's directing is so shit that all his movies would be better off had someone else directed them. <laughs> Wow. So when you hand him a generic post-apocalyptic script written by some random American hacks in a language he doesn't even speak, the result is just the most underwhelming shit imaginable. At least Cage seems to be having fun as anime Mad Max. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you got got that going for it. And uh, like I said, I mean, we neither of us have seen any other Sion Sono movies. I would definitely like to. I've heard a lot of them are very good. But, uh, you know, that's an interesting uh, take on his strengths as a writer versus a director and uh, maybe an explanation for why this movie may not be as beloved as some of his other works. And finally, one last one. Here's a, a review with no rating from Sean Fantasy. I'm throwing this one in there because uh, it kind of chronicles a change that happened between this movie and its Sundance premiere. Uh, needlessly eccentric and crazy for most of its runtime, but there's a samurai battle set to Jim Croce's time in a bottle, and I'm only a human man for Christ's sakes. Now, here's the thing. What? <laughs> At no point in this movie... <laughs> Is there a samurai battle set to Jim Croce's time in a bottle? But this is not the only review that mentioned this on Letterboxd. 
Uh, and these are all dated January 2021, which means these people saw this at Sundance. Right. Which means there is a samurai b- battle set to Jim Croce's time in a bottle that apparently a lot of people liked. And for some reason, it was cut out of the final uh, print of the movie. What? I wonder if they couldn't get the music rights or some weird shit. But then you wouldn't be able be to a, play it? I don't, I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, that could be. I mean, it's, it's, in some cases, there are like festival rights and then there's like film rights. Right. Like so, sometimes you get you get the, the rights to play a song in a movie during a festival screening and then you have to repay to get it in the actual movie later on, which is ridiculous. So that might be a situation where it's like that and they couldn't like afford the actual rights for the movie. But like, oh, man, I wish I could have seen that scene that like honestly, like that scene sounds awesome. <laughs> That might be worth a whole other star. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. That could like have saved the movie. Uh, so I'm wondering if like, you know, the movie that's in theaters right now is somewhat different in other ways than right. the than the Sundance version that came out back in January. And I'll have to talk to, uh, you know, our buddy Nick Wormuth about it because he watched the Sundance version and he hated the movie like at the time. So, yeah. so it may not be super different. Um, but obviously there's a, a scene missing here with the time in a bottle samurai battle. Uh, and I don't know if it's a battle that's in the movie already that they lost the music to or they cut the battle entirely. Um, but maybe one day it'll be a deleted scene somewhere. You can watch it on YouTube. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, they definitely already announced a 4K Blu-ray for this. Uh, Did they? I think it comes out like next month. <laughs> like, it's oh. pretty. I think so. And I was like, oh, I'm going to just have to buy the Blu-ray. Like, I didn't know it was coming out on VOD or like immediate, like so soon. Kind right. Of thing. Uh, so I guess bullet dodged on that because uh, <laughs> I definitely would have <laughs> bought it to watch it. Yeah. Uh, not so much anymore, but maybe that scene will be on there is where I'm going with that. That could be. How much was this on video? By the way, Mike, seven dollars. OK, that's not too bad. I was worried it was going to be like 20 and uh, I was going to be like, yeah. oh, sorry, man, I made you spend 20 dollars to watch Christmas yeah. at the Ghostland. Uh, but seven's not too bad. Yeah, I even downloaded it and then was like, nah, I'll support the movie. Um, <laughs> wish I had watched it for free. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I will say uh, and I don't know how much longer this will be there, but uh, the entire movie is available on YouTube right now for free. Uh, oh my god amazing. somebody uploaded it it has like one hundred and twenty five thousand views i don't know how it hasn't been taken down yet but it's been up for like six days wow uh, so there's that also <laughs> always you know check your options i guess exactly yeah but uh you know if, if you can see prisons ghostland in a the theater and it's a movie that you want to see i would say that probably is the best way to see the movie having yes. seen it in a theater uh, at least. So I'm a little biased in that front. But, uh, you know, there you go. So that is Prisoners of Ghostland, uh, which, you know, is what it is. Uh, it's it's unfortunate. I, I think this was like the movie I was most looking forward to. And like, you know, once the post Mandy announcements of Cage movies kind of started coming through. Uh, and unfortunately, this one, you know, didn't really do as much for me as I had hoped. However, I was completely surprised by Pig. So I guess it kind of like <laughs> yeah. evens out a little bit, you know? <laughs> Yeah, Pig was definitely a write-off when it was announced in my brain. Uh, but yeah. it turns out that's that's the hit. That's the one. It rocks. It's so good. Uh, all right, so Mike, where can we find you online this week? I can't wait to talk to you at the Mikey's at the end of the year when Pig wins Best Picture. Uh, you can find me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not you sure can... it's going to win Best Picture, but Cage is in the running for Best Actor right now. I, I can see it. I can see it. Uh, you can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And if you'd like to donate to support the show, you can do that on our Ko-fi page which is ko-fi.com slash bike and bike pods, plural, because we have two podcasts. Yeah, no, uh, best picture right now is reserved for the Mitchells versus the Machines, Mike. Uh, uh, fair, okay, fair, <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Because I am a child. Uh, you can Correct. find me online 
uh, at Emma Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film and Letterbox, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Complete Works. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike Decretio. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can tweet at us at Goldblum Pod. Uh, you can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press, alongside many other podcasts about comic books and movie news and all that good stuff. And our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own podcast themes at Kyle's Podcast Themes at gmail.com. Our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. And we want to thank our social media advisor, Daniel Clark, as well. So join us on the next Complete Works. This time, we are actually going to be talking about Minnie's first time. Uh, we're back to Jeff Goldblum. We said we would do that this, this week, and obviously we did not because Emergency Cage Podcast took precedent. But Correct. Minnie's first time is going to be the next episode, which, by the way, also available on YouTube uh, if anybody wants to watch it there. Actually, somebody uploaded it like six days ago. Wow. Uh, which it's is a fan of the show. Poetic Critic, is that yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be somebody who knew we were coming up and knew we might have some difficulty finding it. So, uh, yeah, thanks to whoever did that. Uh, it's available on YouTube right now. I think it's the second time that's happened, too. I feel like yeah. I want to say it was like Mr. Frost or something was uploaded to YouTube like a couple of days before we needed to watch it. <laughs> yeah, or maybe like Hideaway or something. I can't remember. Hideaway, I definitely rented. I definitely rented okay. Hideaway. I'm, I'm positive about that because I had to go back and like rewatch it to find the post credit scene and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> But uh, all right. So, yeah, Minnie's first time with uh, Jeff Goldblum. That's going to be the next episode of The Complete Works. And uh, this week, I might go to the movies. We're talking Man on Fire and Top Secret, which uh, we said we were going to do about a month ago and then didn't because I, I wasn't <laughs> available. So we're, we're just delivering on all the broken promises on the podcast <laughs> over the next Set, few weeks. Settling our debts. Exactly. Yeah. So there you go. That's what's on deck for uh, this week. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And remember to go for the Goldblum. Like you silly goose, they're not going for the gold bloom this week. They're getting in the cage. <laughs> <laughs>